I should now like to introduce a um, well-known author, critic, and lecturer, Eldridge Cleaver. everybody. Kind of stuck for words tonight. Um, I don't know whether this is uh, a hello or a goodbye. I talked to my parole officer today and he told me that Wednesday the 27th he wanted me to call him up about 8.30 in the morning uh, so that he could tell me where to meet him so that he could transport me to San Quentin. Okay. They want to have a parole uh, revocation hearing, and uh, I guess they think they have a right to do that. Uh, they certainly are proceeding as though they have a right. Having had some experience with them, I know that when they have you in their clutches, they proceed with what they want to do, whether they have a right or not. A lot of people don't know anything about the prison system. I think they look at prison officials the same way they look at cops, that in some sense they're the guardians of the law, that they're there to protect society, and that everything that they say is the truth and that there's nothing wrong with what they're into, that there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. Well, I know, not so much from my own case, but from the cases of others that I've observed in the various prisons of the state of California, that there are a whole lot of people behind those walls who don't belong there, and that everybody behind those walls are not being subjected to programs that were authorized and for which they were sent there. Uh, rehabilitation in the state of California is less than a joke. I don't, I don't even know how to relate to that word, rehabilitation. It presupposes that at one time one was habilitated, I guess, if I could say that and that somehow he got off the right track and they sent him here to this uh, garage or this repair shop uh, to be dealt with and then released, rehabilitated, and placed back on the right track. Well, I guess that the, that right track has to be this scene out here, the free world. Convicts call this out here the free world. After you're behind those walls for a while, I guess it starts looking like the Garden of Eden. Uh, we can't see all of the little conflicts that are going on out here. Uh, Alioto doesn't look as much like Al Capone from that distance. You see? That's right. 
Al, Al Capone, Ali Odo, Big Al. Ali Oop Odo, you know? People yearn, people yearn behind those walls to return to the free world, to return to society, to be free, and not to be returned to the penitentiary. Now, when I went into the penitentiary, I made the decision. I took a long look at myself, and I said, well, you've been walking this little trip a little too long. You're tired of it. It's very clear that what you had going for yourself before you came in was not adequate, so that while you're here, you're going to have to work with yourself, deal with yourself, so that when you get out of here, you can stay out, because uh, it was pretty clear to me that that was my last go-around and that I could not relate to that anymore. So I guess I developed something of a social conscience. You know. I decided to come out here and to work with social problems, uh, to get involved with the movement and to make whatever contribution I possibly could. Uh, when I made that decision, I thought that the parole authorities, the prison officials, would be tickled pink with me. Yeah? Because they were always telling me to do exactly that. They would tell me that I was selfish and that I only thought of myself, that why didn't I start doing something for other people, working with other people, relating to other people, and looking beyond uh, the horizon of myself. So I did that, you know. And I want to just tell you this, that I've had more trouble. I've had more trouble out of parole officers and the Department of Correction simply because I've been relating to the movement than I had when I was committing robberies, rapes, and other things that I didn't get caught for. See? That's the truth. Uh, if I was on the carpet for having committed a robbery, well, there would be some conversation about that. There would be a few people uptight about that. But it, was, it seemed to be localized. It didn't seem to affect the entire prison system or the entire uh, parole board. They didn't seem to have much time to even discuss it, you know. Uh, they run you through their meetings uh, very, very briefly, you know. You feel that your case is not even being considered. But now I, I know that my case is constantly on their desk and that my parole officer, uh, he doesn't have very much to do except uh, keep track of me, you know. Uh, he wants to know where I go, uh, how much money I make each month, uh, where I'm living, uh, when I'm going to go out of town, and to phone him up when I get back to town, ask him permission uh, to do this and that. There's something more dangerous about attacking the pigs of the power structure verbally than it is if you walk into the Bank of America with a gun and attack it uh, forthrightly, you know. They don't relate to that. They hate armed robbery with violence. Bankers, if you commit a robbery and uh, there's no violence, well, they're mad at you, but they don't get too carried away. 
But if you walk into a bank with a gun and rip something off, the bankers start lobbying for a new law. Well, I don't know if there are any bankers in the audience tonight, you know. But I hope that there are. I hope that there's at least one or a friend of one or somebody who will carry a message to one. And I hope particularly that there's one here from the Bank of America. <laughs> I heard today on the news that Brother Cesar Chavez has declared war on the Bank of America. <laughs> the Bank of America, the Bank of America is Aliup Aliotto's bank. My wife told me this evening that she received a phone call from the Bank of America saying that they were going to repossess our car because we were three months behind in our payments. And that's not true, but I wish that I had never paid a penny for it. I wish that I could have just walked onto that lot and said, stick them up, motherfucker, I'm taking this. See? Because that's, that's how I felt about it. That's how I feel about it now. I don't relate to their system of credit. Uh, what? Uh, see it now, take it home, and pay later. But make sure you pay, you know? It was only out of consideration uh, for the atmosphere that I would need in order to do the other things that I wanted to do that I didn't rip it off, or that I haven't walked into the Bank of America, or that I haven't walked into any other establishment and repossess uh, the loot that they have in there, you see? So I, I don't know what they expect from me, you see? I haven't committed any crimes. I don't feel in the need of any uh, rehabilitation. I particularly, I don't feel any need of going back to Dirty Red's penitentiary. Ward Nelson, Big Red. The, the prison guards call him Big Red. The convicts call him Dirty Red. See? And he's sitting over there across the bay, and he's waiting for me. Uh, because we have a little history of friction, and he doesn't like me. My parole officer doesn't like me. He tells the, the newspaper writers when they go down there, he tells them, well, yeah, he, I think he's a real nice fellow. Uh, I think he's making an excellent adjustment. And if it wasn't for this particular uh, indictment that was brought against him, uh, I would be perfectly willing to uh, have him as my uh, parolee from now on, you know? See? But what he's saying is this, that if you go down to the parole department and ask them to let you see my file, you will find one, you will find just one charge against me other than those lodged against me in Alameda County, which have yet to be adjudicated. I haven't gone to trial for those. I've pled not guilty for those. And the one legitimate charge, they say, that they have, it's entitled failing to cooperate with his parole agent. The first time I saw that, I couldn't, I couldn't understand what it meant because I leaned over backwards to uh, cooperate with that punk, you know? 
So I asked him, just what does that mean? What's the substance of that? And he said, now, uh, this is going to really surprise you. He said, do you remember when you went to New York uh, to tape the David Susskind show? I said, yes, I remember doing that. You remember I told you that when you got back to give me a phone call and let me know that you were back in town? I said, yes. And I did that, didn't I? No, you didn't do it. And that's against the rules. See? And that's the only thing that they have in my file that is even debatable. All of the other things that they're hostile towards me for, they can't put them in the file because it's against the law. It's contrary to the Constitution, and they would be ashamed to write it down on paper and place it in my file. They probably have another file that they smuggle around amongst them, but they cannot come out and tell you one thing that I've done that would justify returning me to the penitentiary. So uh, I just have to say, that I didn't leave anything in that penitentiary except half of my mind and half of my soul, and that's dead there, and I have no use for it. It's theirs. They can have that, and that's my debt to them. That's my debt to society, and I don't owe them a motherfucking thing, and they don't have anything coming, and everything they get from now on they have to take. See? I believe, I believe this. I believe that a time has come, a point has been reached where a line just has to be drawn. Because the power structure of this country has been thoroughly exposed. There is no right on their side. And we know that they're moving against people for political purposes just as that buffoon Alioto refused to allow us to have this meeting in the Hall of Flowers, the People's Hall of Flowers, just as he refused to do that for political purposes, they're doing a lot of other things to a lot of other people, and I'm sure you know about that, but somehow and somewhere it just has to be stopped. There's a favorite line that I know about, and it says that there is a point where caution ends and cowardice begins. There is that point. Everybody is scared of the pigs of the power structure. They have reason to be concerned about them because they have these Gestapo forces that they can issue an order to, and they will come in with their clubs and their guns, and they will exterminate you if that's what it takes in order to carry out the will of their bosses. But I noticed that there are never really a whole lot of pigs on the scene. The only exception to this, in my experience, is New York City, where they seem to have, like, the streets crawling with uh, human beings, and you see more pigs than you see people.
two on every corner and two in the middle of every block. Pigs. Occupying forces. Gestapo. And not just in the black community. And a lot of people say, wish you good luck. And we want you to know that we are behind you. And I want those to know who wish me good luck. And those who say that they are behind me, I want them to know this. That I wish you good luck. And I'm behind you. See? And I don't know how to go about waiting until people start practicing what they preach. I don't, I don't know how to go about waiting on that. Because all I see is a very critical situation, a chaotic situation, where there's pain and there's suffering and there's death. And I see no justification for waiting until tomorrow to say what you can say tonight, for waiting until tomorrow to do what you can do today. I see no justification for waiting until other people get ready. I see no justification for not moving, even if I have to move by myself. And I think that my attitude towards these criminals, my parole officer included, the criminals who control the prison system, who control the parole board, I can't reconcile things with them because for so long I've watched them shove shit down people's throats. I didn't I knew that there was something wrong with the way that they were treating people. By no stretch of the imagination could that be right. That there was something basically fatal about that whole process. And it took me a long time to put my finger on it, at least to my own satisfaction. And after seeing that they were almost the opposite of what they were supposed to be, strike that, almost, that they were beyond the opposite of what they were supposed to be, I got extremely angry at them. I got extremely angry at them. And I don't want to see them get away with anything. I want to see them in the penitentiary because they belong in there because they're committing crimes against the human rights of people. They belong in the penitentiary. And we're not going to trap them into the penitentiary. You see, people try, people try to look at this prison system and everybody knows that it's out of hand. Everybody knows that uh, crime is rampant in this country and that it's undesirable, it's hard to go around and uh, justify crime. We in the Black uh, Panther Party, we uh, justify certain activity against certain enemies of the people because we do not define that as crime. We turn their definitions around and we define that as people moving for their liberation in a chaotic situation. And I just want to say this about this prison system. 
everything I say is about the prison system, either the one uh, distinctly set aside or the one out here in which we live. Uh, make no mistakes about that, you know. But this other one, this, this one that we set aside and we label it uh, the penitentiary, all of this talk about deal with rehabilitation, when you focus on the adult penitentiaries, you're looking at the end of the line to try to see where a process begins. Because if you really want to understand and see what's behind this prison system, you have to look at Juvenile Hall. You have to go down to Juvenile Hall. And that's where I started my career. At about the age of 12, uh, for some charge, I don't know what it was, uh, vandalism. I think I ripped off a bicycle, you know, maybe two or three bicycles. Maybe I had a bicycle business. I don't remember, you know. But uh, it related to bicycles. And they took me to juvenile hall, and it took me about six months to get out again. But while I was there, I met a lot of people. I met a lot of real nice, groovy cats uh, who were very active, very healthy people uh, who had stolen bicycles and things like that. And I moved up the ladder from Juvenile Hall to Whittier, the reform school for youngsters. I graduated from there with honors and went to another one, a little higher, Preston School of Industry. And I graduated from that one, and they jumped me up into the big leagues, into the adult penitentiary system. But I noticed that every time I went back to jail, the same guys who were in juvenile hall with me were also there. Or they arrived there soon after I got there, or a little bit before I left. But they always seem to make the scene. They carry you from juvenile hall to the old folks' colony down in San Luis Obispo, which is across the tracks from where Hewitt P. Newton is. They take you in a juvenile hall, they carry you through their system, and they take you down to San Luis Obispo and wait for you to die shortly, and they bury you there if you have no one left out here to claim your body. And most people who end up there don't. And I noticed these waves, these generations. And I had a chance to watch other generations that came behind me. And I'd talk to them, you know. And I'd ask them, had they been in jail before and where did they start? I wanted to know their story. And you will find graduating classes moving up from juvenile hall all the way up. And it occurred to me that this is a social failure at the root, uh, one that cannot be justified by any stretch of the imagination. Not by any stretch of the imagination can the little children in the juvenile halls be condemned because they're innocent and they're processed by an environment that they have no control over. If you look at the prisons, the adult prisons, you can't make heads or tails of them. You can't make heads or tails of that because by the time they get there, they're there for murder, rape, robbery, 
and all of the high crimes. But when you look into their past, you'll find juvenile hall, and you have to ask yourself, this country a program for young people that will interest them, that will actively involve them, and that will process them to be healthy individuals in a healthy environment and lead a healthy life. And until someone answers that question for me, the only attitude that I can have towards the prison system, including juvenile hall, is how do we tear the walls down and let those people out of there? That's the only question. How do we tear those walls down and let those people out of there? People look at uh, the point in the Black Panther Party program that calls for freedom for all black men and women held in federal, state, county, local jails. And they find it hard to accept that particular point. They can relate to running the police out of the community, but they say those people in those prisons, they've committed crimes, they're convicted of crimes, and how can you even talk about bringing them out? If you did get them out, would you and the black community take them and put them on trial and send them back again? And I don't, I don't know how to deal with that. It just, no, no. Uh, let them out and leave them alone. Let them out because they're hip to all of this out here now. Let them out, turn them over to the Black Panther Party. Give them to us, and we will redeem them from the promises made by the Statue of uh, Liberty and that was never fulfilled. But we have a program for them that will keep them active 24 hours a day, uh, eight big strong men in a big conspicuous truck robbing a jive gas station for $75. When I sit down to conspire to commit a robbery, it's going to be the Bank of America or Chase Manhattan Bank or Brinks. Listen, I've been working with Bobby Seale, uh, working on the biography of Huey P. Newton. Uh, Bob Shear and I took Bobby Seale down to uh, Carmel, Carmel by the Sea, uh, but away from the sea. We went as far away from there as we could get. We went into a little cabin, and we got a fifth of scotch, a couple of chasers, and a tape recorder, and a large stack of blank tapes. And we said, Bobby, take a sip and talk about Brother Huey P. Newton. And Bobby started talking about Huey. And one of the things that just blew my mind is when he mentioned that prior to organizing the Black Panther Party,
he and Huey have been planning a gigantic bank robbery. And that as they put their minds to work on that, because relating, they were relating to the movement, and they recognized that they needed money for the movement, because the people were giving all the money to the churches, you dig it? And to the Democratic Party and to the Republican Party. <clears throat> so they knew that they needed money, and they knew that they had money in the bank. So they sat down and they started trying to put together a key to open the vaults. But as they thought about it, and as they thought about the implications, Bobby tells how one day, while they were discussing this, Huey jumped up and said, later for a bank, what we're talking about is politics. And what we're talking about essentially is the liberation of our people. So later for one jive bank, let's organize the brothers and put them together, arm them for defense of the black community, and it will be like walking up to the White House and saying, stick them up, motherfucker, we want what's ours. So that there, there's a very interesting, there's a very key connection between uh, insurrection carried out by oneself, a private, you know, a personal civil war. We define civil war, what, when society, when society splits down the middle and you have two opposing sides? And does that have to be the definition? Can 5,000 people launch a civil war? Can 4,000 or 3,000 or one half of 1,000 or half of that? Or can 10 people do that? Or can one person, can one person engage in civil war? I'm not a lawyer and I'm definitely not a judge. But I would say that one person acting alone could in fact be engaged in a civil war against an oppressive system. And that's how I, that's how I look upon those cats in those penitentiaries. Robbery, burglary, rape, murder, <clears throat> kidnap, uh, anything. a response to a situation, a response to an environment. If you read any of the social sciences, read a book, and it will tell you <clears throat> that if you subject people to an unpleasant environment, you can predict that they will rebel against it. It's predictable. And that gives rise to a contradiction. Because when you have a social unit organized in such a way that people are moved to rebel against it in large numbers, how then do you come behind them and tell them 
that they owe a debt to society. I say the society owes a debt to them. And society doesn't look as though it wants to. And there's a young brother over in Juvenile Hall right now in Alameda County by the name of Gregory Harrison, about 14 or 15 years old. He's the leader of the Black Students' Union, I think, at Tech High over there in Oakland. And at this moment, they have him over there charged with insurrection. Insurrection. Because the Black Student Union on that campus wants black history added to the curriculum. They want an environment created on that campus. Not that will teach black people how to be black, but that will remove the restraints so they could just be themselves and their blackness would just automatically flourish. Like you don't have to teach a rose how to be a rose or a tree how to be a tree. You just leave it alone and don't pour salt on the roots that it will be a rose or it will be a tree. And this piggish criminal system, this system that is the enemy of people, this very system that we live in and function in every day, this system that we live in and under at this very moment, our system, each and every one of your system, if you happen to be from another country, it's still your system because the system in your country is part of this, see? And this system, it is evil. It is criminal. It is murderous. And it is in control. It is in power. It is arrogant. It is crazy. And it looks upon the people as its property, so much so that cops who are public servants feel justified in going onto a campus, a college campus or a high school campus, and spraying mace in the face of the people, beating people with those clubs, and even shoot people if it takes that to enforce the will of the likes of Ronald Reagan, Jesse Unruh, Mussolini Aliotto, to enforce his evil will. Have you ever seen Aliotto on television? And when you see him, will you swear that he doesn't frighten you, that he doesn't look like Al Capone? <laughs> Aliotto reminds me of convicts that I know in Folsom Prison. 
And this is not a contradiction. When I speak up for convicts, I don't say that every convict is going to come out here and join the plan, eh? or that he would uh, be nice to people out here. I'm not saying that. Because I call for the freedom of even those who are so alienated from society that they hate everybody. Cats who tattoo on their chest, born to hate, born to lose. I knew a cat who tattooed a swastika on his forehead. I knew another cat who tattooed across his forehead, born to kill. And uh, he needs to be released also. Because whereas Lyndon Baines Johnson doesn't have any tattoos on his head, he has blood dripping from his fingers. And he has killed more people. Listen. He has killed, he has killed more people than any man who has ever been in prison in any prison in the United States of America, from the beginning of it to the end. He has murdered. And people like prison officials, policemen, mayors, chiefs of police, they endorse it. They even call for escalation, meaning kill more people. I don't want it, and you can't have it. And the people who are here tonight, because I see so many faces that I recognize, that I can say that I know that you don't And what we have to relate to is that there's only one way that we're going to get rid of it. That's by standing up and drawing a firm line, a firm line, a distinct and firm line, and standing on our side of that line and defending that line by whatever means necessary, including laying down our lives, but not in sacrifice, taking pigs with us. Taking pigs with us. Listen. It's hard for us to see certain relationships when we look at our own scene here in Babylon. But we are loudmouth people, and we hot nose in everybody else's affairs. And we'll look across the water at heroic people who have drawn a firm line, and we support them all the way. See? But even supporting them all the way verbally is, in fact, a way of stabbing them in the back. Because we verbally, verbally, we support them. But in all other ways, we step aside, essentially, and allow the war machine to grind on. To allow even more vicious pigs to be voted into office. So that tonight, 
there's no one in this room who can feel comfortable about the next four years. And I cannot relate to spending the penitentiary. Not with madmen, not with madmen with supreme power in their hands. Not with Ronald Reagan being the head of the Department of Corrections as he is the head of every other state agency. Not with Dirty Red being the warden. If they made Dr. Shapiro the warden of San Quentin, I'd go right now. See? But while they have sadistic fiends, I mean mean men, cruel men, in control of that apparatus, I say that my interest is elsewhere. My heart is out here with the people who are trying to improve our environment And you are you some kind of fool. You're some you're even a bigger fool than I know you are. If you can go through all of these abstract and ridiculous changes, all of these overt political maneuvers, and think that I'm gonna to relate to that. Talk all the shit that you want to talk. Issue all the orders that you want to issue. I'm charged with the crime, and I'm anxious to go to trial because we can deal with it. Because we're going to tell the truth, and the pigs are going to have to tell lies, and that's hard to do, especially when we have with us uh, technicians such as the Honorable Charles R. Gary. I am not afraid to walk in any courtroom in this land with a lawyer, with a lawyer like Gary, to deal with that situation because he can deal with the judge and the prosecutor. And I know what my everyday life has been, and I can testify to that. But don't you come up to me telling me that you're going to revoke my parole on a charge for which I put in nine years behind the walls, and for which I was supposed to receive my discharge next month? Don't you come up to me talking that shit because I don't want to hear it. Nice.